My name is Mark Birkwood. I'm an autistic comedian. And as well as um, being autistic, I work in a special needs school. Some say it's a bit like the blind leading the blind. Uh, just a little joke to open up the uh, cast there. Anyway, welcome to Autism Hour. Today, um, I'm delighted to have on the podcast is uh, Don Biswas. Uh, hello, Don. Hello, Mark. How you doing? Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah, we were just speaking a bit before, weren't we? So, uh, uh, do you feel like you're getting back into the swing of things with gigging now? Uh, I've done two um, live gigs, so uh, actual physical gigs out, not a Zoom gig or a Skype gig. Yeah, and it felt good, and uh, I've been in a lot of Zoom gigs. So I've gone into the, I've gone into the swing of things again. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant, brilliant. And did they go well those gigs? Uh, yeah, they, they went well. It was a little bit rusty, but yeah, those gigs went well. Uh, the weird thing is, during my day job, I've been working throughout the whole lockdown in a post room, so it feels like to a certain extent nothing's changed. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's, it, you, you feel you feel right at home. You know. Yeah, it felt nice. But whenever I was at home, I was just really bored. So, but being ADHD, but yeah, when yeah. I was working, it felt like a relief. What is it you do as a job? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, I work in a for a big accountancy firm, Ernest and Young, and I just do the post in the career desk. So, uh, we, we push trolley. We deliver post to people obviously can't now so we just sort it out and scan it to their homes okay okay and uh do you enjoy that or is it just uh something just a bit of money it's a bit of both i do enjoy it it's not too stressful and yeah but being dyspraxic as well so yeah i do enjoy it yeah <laughs> yeah i bet that can create some problems i know it's great problems with like me at my workplace because uh, obviously with the autism it is dysfraction that comes with it and I'm just so clumsy walking to people all the time um, but yeah so uh, first I want to ask uh, how is it you got into comedy do you want to tell me about that yeah uh, I've been doing it for 13 years I went to an open mic night with my sister in the Bedford in Ballam and her boss was doing comedy as a bet so I my sister invited me just to watch and I wrote a couple of jokes at university and I thought I could do this so I signed up with the guy afterwards and saying, like, uh, I'd like to do open mic comedy. And a few months later, I was doing it. And I just went on from there. Had nothing to lose. I was unemployed. So I thought, you know, spend my time doing a bit of open mic comedy. Oh, amazing. That's So that was in Bedford, did you say? It was the Bedford pub in Ballam, South London. So, And also, I wrote a couple of jokes at university. So I thought I'd put them to good use then. So did you did you try um, a little bit of comedy at university then? No, I watched this programme, I think it's called Take the Mic, where on IT where people, uh, aspiring comics or comics who are on the circuit, try to get to the next level. And I thought I could write a few jokes. Didn't do anything about it. A few years later, went to the Bedford pub in Ballin with my sister. And, you know, I signed up. And that's when I used my jokes. You know, I thought I'd give it a go properly. 
Oh, and how did that, uh, your first gig, how was that? Do you still remember it? My first gig was okay, actually. I didn't do too badly. I was nervous. Looking back now, some of the jokes weren't great. But it's my second gig where I really struggled. But uh, I, I, I died them on my ass, if I, pardon my French. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. but yeah, the first gig was okay, actually. My second gig struggled. But yeah, enjoyed it. As soon as I, I did that first gig, I knew I wanted to do it again. It gave you that uh, feeling as well. Like, how, how sort of nervous were you before that first gig? Do you remember too much about it? or I was quite nervous, but when I got onto stage, you know, um, I felt fine. I, uh, I still felt nervous on stage, but it wasn't it wasn't as bad. So, yeah, really nervous at the start, but before the gig, but then it felt fine afterwards. But yeah, and and that, and that sort of second gig where where it didn't go so well. I mean, we've we've all been there. Like, I think it's a rite of passage for comedians uh, when you're starting out. Everyone has that gig where you die on your ass. Um, but like, so did did you like? Were you like questioning whether you wanted to carry on doing it, or were you like, I'm just gonna uh, persevere? No, I mean, the second gig was when I was really depressed and. The first gig was a bit of a fluke, but first or second gig for most comedians, you're going to be terrible anyway because you've got you've had yeah. little or, or no experience. But the second gig was wasn't great, and at that time I was doing a job where it was as an admin assistant, and I was just depressed because I couldn't do the job. I was too slow. I'm thinking, what is going on with me? And on top of doing a bad gig, it just felt really, I just felt really terrible. Hmm. But you, but you got back up on the uh, horse, so to speak, and, and carried on, I guess. I mean, I should add, yeah, I did carry on. And all this was just before I got diagnosed with learning difficulties, but I did carry on. I, I did another gig three months later and, yeah, carried on, on from there. Okay. And um, so you've been doing it, say, you said 13 years. Uh, um, I've been doing it 13 years, but I've only been taking it seriously since last week. <laughs> well, to be honest, I think that's that that's what most of us uh, <laughs> been doing. Uh, yeah, I think I've been I've been doing it about uh, three years, and I'm not taking it seriously at the moment at all. And <laughs> um, I, I, I think that's most experiences. Um, but yeah, so like in all that sort of thirteen years, do do you remember sort of the uh, the best gig you've done like today? Like, uh, I think one of the best gigs I did was for Nigel Lovell. I think it was the Kenneth Moore Theatre in, I think that's North London or East London. Um, and I did a gig to a, a charity gig to a load of Leighton Orient fans. So I think it was more East oh, London. Brilliant. Yeah. And I had to, I, I was on before Terry Olgerton and I just did a really great set. So it was really brilliant. And the whole audience were clapping and cheering. And that's not happened all the time. A lot of the time, obviously, uh, I can die on my ass, but that just everything clicked then. Yeah, and you felt it was so... And you were performing to Leighton Orient fans, so I'm assuming he did a lot of jokes about Millwall. I think that probably would have been that well. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. But I just did gag after gag after gag, and it just seemed to flow, Mark, so... I so it seemed pleased. to click, yeah. Yeah, I was pleased with myself, so... And uh, how long ago was that? That was 2014, so it was about several years ago. Oh, so surely, yeah, a good six, seven years ago. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I remember that time without sounding morbid. It was just after, I think it was one of the first gigs back after my dad died. And I just felt, he, uh, my dad died. He had a good innings. He was in his 70s. Uh, he was in his early oh, 80s. Right. 
so uh, after that, yeah, I just uh, I'd moved on. There was a new chapter in my life, and everything just felt good. Okay, I mean that must have, yeah. For, I think for a lot of people that would be quite difficult to uh, recover from because I know when certainly when my dad passed, I think twenty fifteen, uh, it was. I mean, I mean that was before I was doing comedy, so it wasn't. Uh, it was only a couple of years later I started doing it, uh, so I had a couple of years to, to deal with that. But that's that's amazing. You sort of like even after that, um, you still went and sort of performed. Uh, I mean, did, did your dad ever come and see you? It was it was okay. a. Well, I was more reflective of my dad. My dad had a good innings then. He didn't see me, but he saw my video clips and uh, because I talk about conspiracies and a lot of politics, he was proud I was doing the political stuff. So. And when he saw some of my clips on YouTube, he was proud that I was doing it. And, he, and it showed that uh, because uh, I've been sacked from a lot of jobs and I wasn't, even though I got a degree, I wasn't great academically in terms of I was failing a lot of exams when I was younger. The stand-up comedy showed him that I did have a bit of intelligence about me. So he was happy oh. seeing the YouTube clips. Oh, brilliant. That must have, and, and obviously his sort of recognition, that must have felt sort of really good and... Um, and, and what about the rest of your family? Do, are they quite supportive of your comedy? They are now. I mean, because I had the learning <laughs> difficulties at start, before I got diagnosed with them, when they found I did comedy, they just thought it was horrendous because it's that typical middle-class Indian family. Right. Lawyer, doctor, accountant, or in my case, any <laughs> decent graduate job. So, but, <laughs> but when they knew that I got sacked from a couple of jobs, uh, I had depression, felt a bit suicidal. They knew that stand-up comedy is something I loved, and it was one of, one of the few things I was good at. And then they started to champion me. Oh, that's brilliant. That's uh, and I, I guess because they see it makes you sort of mentally, um, you know, in a sort of a better position. Uh, it makes you feel. I know. I know. Certainly, 100%. when I come, certainly when I come off stage, regardless of if it's gone good or bad, you still feel that adrenaline. Like so. It, was there ever a point though where you thought, oh, "I'm not going to do comedy anymore"? Like, was there was there ever that point, or did you have you always been like, regardless of how you feel mentally, you're always going to be doing it? There was never really a point where I was going to give up, uh, even if it was a really bad gig. The thing with being um, mildly Asperger's is that if we can use that term today, but yeah, ASD, it's uh, because when I first started. Uh, I thought I was okay, but a lot of people told me I was really bad. I was completely oblivious to how bad I was in certain gigs. But because of that lack of self-awareness, I just kept going. So there was never that thought of me giving up. And as I went on and got better, I thought, um, I'm ready here. I might as well carry on with it, whatever level I'm at. Even if I'm, I haven't progressed as other comedians, just carry on, talk to politics, just keep doing it and enjoying it. Yeah, and uh, I mean, uh, for those that haven't haven't seen you, uh, yeah, I, I you're, you're, a lot of your sets are uh, to do with politics, and and it's 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 probably a, quite an understatement to say you're a little bit left wing. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, my set. Well, I was discussing this with my brother-in-law. Uh, I was lucky enough to do a gig a couple of weeks ago to save the live comedy industry with Jade Adams and. Uh, and Al Murray, and uh, we're just trying to promote myself better. And my brother-in-law said I'm more multifaceted. Uh, 
so I can do one-liners, I can do gags for the club sets, I can do the politics, I can also talk about having learning difficulties while coming from an Indian family. So everything I try and do is with a punchline, and there's a lot out there. It's just more than politics, there's several things to get the mm. crowd entertained. And also, it's slightly different from your average comedian that I do talk about a lot of varied subjects, but are slightly different from what other comedians talk about. Most yeah, comedians yeah. talk about who are brilliant. Sorry to interrupt. They talk about That's dating fine. relationships or they talk about observational stuff. Whereas I come from a slightly different perspective, talking about learning difficulties and politics and one liners. So, and, and like, so when you were sort of talking about uh, learning difficulties and politics, sort of on stage, like, have you had any sort of uh, bad reactions? Because obviously, um, any anyone's views can be taken the uh, wrong way at any point. Like we all have our own views, and actually, as comedians, I always think the best comedians are the ones that, um, so such as yourself. I've seen your set. I saw your Edinburgh show last year. It was really good, uh, and I always sort of think, you know, when you're doing sort of jokes on stage, uh, did you get any sort of bad reactions after the show? People coming up to you, oh, you can't say that on stage, and you can't. Have you had people like that? I've had bad reactions. Uh, first of all, the in terms, because I'm only mildly uh, Asperger's, like, I call myself Drizzle Boy, not Rain Man. So <laughs> I got diagnosed with mild traits of Asperger's in 2008. And whenever I've done a set and I mentioned that in, a, in 2013 in a comedy cafe, a woman, I think her son was autistic, was angry because she didn't think I was... I wasn't on the spectrum and it made her angry that I was felt like I was taking the piss out of autistic people because I was doing a set like saying that uh, one of the symptoms of Asperger's is having one-sided conversations and I said with other people maybe I'm not Asperger's maybe I'm just a stand-up comedian and she thought I, was, <laughs> I thought it was a funny joke but she, yeah, thought, it's a great said, she thought I was just taking the piss out of autistic people and then I did a fundraiser for a guy called John Williams who does a show about his son not Rain Man, he's about his son being severely autistic and I was supporting him and afterwards people saying, you're not autistic you can have a conversation like I am with you now, so th there's a couple of times when people got uh, people got really offended uh, 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 because they didn't think I was autistic which is, it's a spectrum for a reason and it's a hidden disability yeah. so not everyone's going to know so, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely uh, I well, I mean, obviously I'm in agreement I I was sort of diagnosed when I was uh, 11. So I've had quite, with Asperger's as well. Uh, so I've had quite a long time to sort of, I got a lot of sort of good support at school. I don't think I'd get that support now though. Like no, if I was, not. no, it's definitely got worse. It's weird you mentioned John Williams. I'm actually, uh, that's a book I bought recently. My son's not Rayman. You just mentioned it. I'm literally staring at that book at the moment. <laughs> that's, that's so weird. So, uh, I, I, in all fairness, I, I haven't actually read it yet. I know I should, but um, uh, I was recommended it by another autistic comedian. You might know him, Luke Poulton. Yeah, yeah, I know Luke. Yeah, He's absolutely yeah. great. Big shout out to Luke as well. He's come yeah. on leaps and bounds as a comedian. He's really good. Uh, yeah, I just was lucky enough to support him on a few shows after I did his Edinburgh show. On I did shows in schools for people, parents who had autistic children, and I did them all over the country. A few, not many, but there was a few here and there. So it was really, it was really good fun as well. That's amazing. That's and and and, and that's what I think. Um, it, it's so weird. Like when I when I first started comedy, I thought I was quite unique in the fact oh, there's no autistic people. 
And there's no, there'll be no autistic comedians, <laughs> but, but, but uh, and, then, and then basically half the circuit is, and I think, well, half the London circuit is anyway. And I, I, I think, oh, maybe it's because London's got a really good train network. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it's That's just, right. Yeah. Uh, it basically, it, uh, it's not half the circle. The actual figure is 52.1235%. No, yeah, but there are quite a lot. I think it's it's sort of an outside activity, so I can understand why a lot of autistic people gravitate towards it. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's I think it's definitely, definitely, um, because that's what uh, comedians are. They are sort of outsiders. And so I think, as you said, I think we naturally fit into that i mean i know with me anyway because i don't have a filter it's actually brilliant being on stage exactly 100 yeah same here i don't have a filter at work and sometimes i can come across as unpc and it's got me in trouble before but i don't mean to say the things i do but yeah and that's why comedy is great yeah yeah because also as well i mean for me i don't know if this is the same for you but i think comedy is really great because because people if it is offensive, if people really, if it's not funny what you're saying, you you can tell. Like, it's very yeah. obvious. Like, you know, they either laugh or they don't. Uh, whereas if you're in a social situation, people might just be being polite. Um, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, yeah. It's just more real. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, um, yeah, so you, uh, you mentioned sort of your Asperger's diagnosis, and that was in what? 2008 you said yeah 2008 at the back of 2008 so how, how old were you then um I, I was uh 24 uh um not 24 sorry 25 the year before i just had a massive breakdown i felt a bit suicidal because i just lost a job and so uh i explained my i went to the priory actually and explained my situation to the psychiatrist there the doctor and they said they might have Asperger's and so, and so they put, and I spoke to the NHS doctor and they put me onto an assessment. Okay. And because, uh, I mean, uh, it's, it's weird the amount of people I've spoken to that it, 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 when they're adults, they're diagnosed and it, it seemed to have missed that when they were uh, kids. Whereas I would say I, I am definitely sort of on the milder end. But I was diagnosed when I was 11 quite early on. And it's just, it, I've, I've spoken to so many different people who've done that, who, who've only recently just discovered, or like when they were adults got that diagnosis. I mean, how did you feel when you got it? Was it relief or were you a bit... It was a huge relief along with the dyspraxia stuff as well. I mean, if I am uh, just veer to the side a little bit, go off topic, uh, the reason why... The reason why it was so late is because I'd come from a middle-class Indian family obsessed with education. So it's a one-size-fits-all parenting policy, as I said, for your parents to become lawyers, doctors, accountants. And I had enough of intelligence about me to get a degree certificate. Even though I did badly in my GCSE mocks, I just did enough. And when I was younger, the school wrote a letter to my parents saying there might be something wrong with me, and the par my parents ignored it. So, as far as I'm concerned, if they couldn't see it, it didn't exist. And they mm. were just obsessed with education, so there's no room for manoeuvre for a diagnosis or anything else. Yeah, and it, and it, and it does does make a difference, because uh, where your parents are, because my mum was on it straight away. She could tell something was up. She's worked in uh, with people who learn disabilities for all her life. But like my dad, it's funny, my dad was the opposite. He didn't think there was anything wrong i mean i'm doing that in terms of quotes because 
and, 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 I, and I hate when people say, oh, yeah, this might be something wrong. Because the way it's like phrased, it's like, of course, maybe your parents would be like, no, there's nothing wrong with him, maybe. Maybe I guess it was that reaction, or maybe they just didn't want to admit it. I don't know. But uh, would you say, I mean, obviously your dad sort of passed away, but would you say your mum is more understanding now? She is more understanding now. The thing is, it, uh, as I said, in Indian background, all they're obsessed with education. So my mum is more understanding now, and I reckon but my parents probably have got some kind of hidden difficulties like Asperger's or ADHD. So, but yeah, uh, for me, it's been a, my mum see me sacked from a few jobs. So having Asperger's and dyspraxia is a get out of jail free card. She knows I can't do anything else in terms of working like a low paid job and plus doing a comedy. So it's made it easier for her. So, and myself, because I, if I if I was to work as a high graduate job tomorrow, straight away I would get sacked in most cases. So she knows this is the, without sounding, being down on myself, this is the best I can do, but I enjoy it. Well, no, yeah, and I think everyone, I think it's important that everyone has uh, different uh, skills. I mean, I think I I graduated uh, uni, but again, I, I wouldn't, have been able to graduate. Uh, people, people thought I wasn't going to graduate, wasn't going to even get to university because of my difficulties. But again, I said the support I had. Uh, I have to say, my school was. I was very fortunate because the amount of people I've spoken to go, yeah, no, we we haven't had sort of any of that uh, support, and so I think I must I must be quite sort of a, a rare case. But I don't think it. I guess I don't think it limits what. You could have, what is you find most hard about jobs like that then, the high graduate? Uh, well, I'll be worked as an admin assistant. It's just that I'm very disorganised, so it's the multitasking. Uh, uh, when I first started the standard comedian, I couldn't make the eye contact. I, I was in my show. I wasn't great socially. So that's taken me a long time. So when I was doing these, uh, like, admin assistant jobs, or I was a graduate trainee for Superdrug, uh, where I had to leave because I knew I was going to get the sack, it's just I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't on it with communication wise as well. So it was both those two. But do you, do you yeah, sorry, go on, carry on. No, no, go on. I was just gonna say, do, do you feel like they should have been more supportive towards your needs? No, because I was undiagnosed, so they didn't know, uh, mm. I didn't know. And uh, uh and the weird thing is uh, you're lucky that in the sense you're not lucky, but you had a parent who had a who had um, had field in this experience? Uh, sorry, who had the experience with dealing with yeah. learning difficulties? I think, yeah, but uh, no, they 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 could they couldn't have done anything better, Mark. You know, it wasn't their fault. It wasn't my fault. Oh, it was no. just a, it was an unfortunate situation. Yeah, yeah, and so sorry. Was it? You said you're from sort of Indian background. What did you grow up in India, or have you lived here? All your life? Or? I, I was born here, second generation immigrant. Uh, uh, but the thing is, uh, I was sort of a bit of a loner, if I'm to be honest. So uh, okay. I, I, I loved it. You talk about indie culture, Indian culture. I loved indie culture as well. I loved listening to like, <laughs> uh, Oasis and Suede, but I was never cool enough to fit in with the, those kids. But I uh, but because I didn't have the social skills, and I, I had a lot of Asian mates at school, but because of the dispatch, I wasn't good at cricket and sport. I didn't fit in <laughs> yeah. with those guys either. So I was just left to my own devices, really. 
And yeah, so like uh, my, my school experience wasn't, yeah, I got support from the teachers, but yeah, I found it really difficult uh, to make friends. I often found out uh, people were being manipulative of me, would get me to do stuff. I would get into trouble and they wouldn't, but I, I thought, oh, well, that's how you make friends, isn't it? By showing off and impressing. <laughs> Same here, 100%. Yeah, so, so so again again the amount of people I've spoken to, autistic people, that that's that experience. So, like, did, did you have any sort of friends in school that sort of not obviously you weren't diagnosed, but thought, oh well, Don's a little different, uh, so I'll, I'll I'll be a bit nicer to him. Like I don't know, did you have anyone who was like that or not really? Different. <laughs> Mainly, I went to all boys comprehensive school in South London, so. Oh God! So a, a lot, of, a lot of dickheads. Actually, one of my friends was a special, not special needs kid. I don't want to use that word, but he had severe learning yeah. difficulties and he needed help in each lesson. But yeah, when all, I used to walk funny. I used to walk like a member of Oasis. So, <laughs> so uh, I was a child of the mid nineties. No one could tell I had dyspraxia. They just thought I was mad for it. But <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, people used to take the piss out of my walk because they didn't know what dyspraxia was in the mid nineties, and people could be cruel then, especially boys. Uh, so yeah, you know, there was no sympathy there. So, but you know, you learn to um, you you learn from what happened there, and you try and move on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and do you feel like sort of now? Because you understand, because you understand your difficulties, what you struggle with a bit more. Do you feel like you, do you feel like it's easier to make friends now? It is, yes, it is a lot easier to make friends. I'm not, I'm not brilliant at making friends. All my friends outside comedy are on the spectrum, apart from one, and uh, I suspect he might be on the spectrum. But uh, yeah, so uh, it's yeah. Uh, I'm not too fussed about making friends because I've got two or three friends and that's enough. So, yeah, but it's a lot, it is easier compared to when it was when I was younger, definitely. Yeah, no, and I agree. It's, it's, and the older you get, the more you think, oh, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. Yeah, because I, I have like, I have, I have two very sort of close friends and we, yeah, one of them is on the spectrum and I have a brother who's also autistic uh so and then they're the closest people in my life i'd say and apart from obviously um my girlfriend but oh that's that's something i want to ask sorry if i apologize if if i'm pride if i'm getting too personal no 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 no. um like what 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 about sort of relationships uh like boyfriend girlfriend whatever is that i've had a few girlfriends but not, not lasted that long so what i did i don't know what to do now the thing is with autism is I've been obsessed with comedy for the last 10 years. So the last few years, I, I've completely ignored that because I've been so obsessed with just writing the best joke I can that I, I haven't had time for that. But then I recently joined a website for autistic people and dating and uh, and I tried to look into that. And the, the weird thing is uh, I met up with this woman, but the thing is I, I'm neither here or there. I'm not neurotypical enough. So I'm, I'm going to join mainstream dating websites, but I'm not neurotypical enough to fit in the neurotypical. They judge me by their own standards. But then again, <laughs> like yourself, Mark, you were saying that uh, you're mildly autistic. I'm not that much autistic that in, um, sometimes I can't. A lot of autistic people don't think there's nothing wrong with me. So when it comes to dating, I'm neither here or there or even making friends. 
So you're almost you're in between, really. You're, you're in between the two. You're not autistic enough to date autistic people, but you're not neurotypical enough to. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that, yeah, that's mad. That's, so uh... yeah, but uh, another thing is, although uh, I had a couple of relationships in the past, not that long. Uh, the thing is, what I need to do is just find confidence with myself. I think uh, coming from an Indian family, uh, obsessed with education, uh, I didn't get that confidence from my parents and. It, and for a lot of autistic people, you have to find confidence with yourself to date, uh, not just date, but also make friends and stuff like that. So that's, I think that's something I need to work on. I think a lot of people who get diagnosed at a later age have problems with confidence uh, with all parts of their life. And once I can work on that, uh, uh, then I'll be on my way. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And for some people, it takes longer and shorter. I, I know for me personally, since I started comedy, um, my confidence has shot through the roof. Uh, like I was really not confident before the comedy. Would you say that's uh, an experience that you you have? Yeah, a hundred percent. But then I got to remind myself, like I was speaking to my brother-in-law again about my stand-up. That that he says that what's the one thing I lack is confidence. So I still need to work on it. But yeah, it has improved definitely from where I was about ten years ago. Hmm. Now we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, I'll be talking to Don about um, conspiracy theories, Don's gigs for the Labour Party, Don's biggest comedy influences, identity politics, freedom of speech, um, Don's set about Asperger's in the US, and the infamous Autism Hour quiz. If you'd like to follow this podcast, uh, please uh, go to at follow us at, on Twitter at Autism Hour Pod C one uh, for the Autism Hour Twitter account. Uh, you can also find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Just search Autism Hour Podcast, and there you can listen to other episodes with other amazing comedians such as John Pendle, Joe Wells. Juliana Heng, Aaron Hood, and many, many more amazing comics. Okay, now back to the podcast. Yeah, okay. So, like, uh, so, so let, let, let's sort of uh, talk a bit more about the comedies. You say you've always been obsessed uh, with comedy. Uh, so who are your sort of biggest influences or the comedians you aspire to if you well, will uh, i say obsessed i was more obsessed with comedy in the term when i was doing it because i found something i was good at I was okay. just obsessed. but when i was younger i think the people i liked were bill hicks so yeah um, I'm a big fan yeah because he didn't care what anyone else said and he just said what he wanted to say i think I think from three, I think from now, there's three comics I like at the moment. First of all, I'm a massive fan of Paul Sinner. He's uh, he's Bengali like me, but he's a gay Bengali Asian doctor, and he talks about coming from an Asian family. And I try and talk about that so I can relate to that as well. 
Brilliant. Yeah. Secondly, I love Gary Delaney. He's a one-liner merchant. And because I've got ADHD, I tend to write short jokes. I want to get to the punchline as quickly as possible. Now, sometimes that's I can't do that when you're explaining big political issues, but I try to do that. And thirdly, it's Steve Hughes, who's a conspiracy theorist, such slash left-wing comic. So those three have been my biggest influences at the moment, along with Bill Hicks, because I'm a so, I'm a left-wing political conspiracy theorist gag merchant, but also talks about learning difficulties and coming from an Asian family. I know it's a quite a mouthful, but it is. It's, it's, it's a very unique sort of situation you got going on. How is Steve Hughes? Is is he like? Is he's Australian? He's Australian. I don't think yeah. he is. He's not sure. I don't think he's left. He's just more of a distrusting of the system. If you want to check him out, he was at live at the Apollo about ten years ago. He's got a great. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he's Australian. Yeah, but I've now seen he's based, it. Uh, he's based in Manchester now. Yeah, Australian. Yeah, he's a good, really good comic. Obviously, not everyone agrees with him because being a conspiracy theorist, uh, a lot of people don't disagree with you. But look, if you can make them laugh, that's the most important thing. Yeah, that, that's that's quite interesting. Like uh, in terms of sort of conspiracy. <laughs> Uh, theories. I mean, we won't delve too much into it because it's, it's only the autism hour, and I'm pretty sure if we talked about conspiracy theories, we'd be here for about six. Yeah. <laughs> so, I uh, like, how did that sort of start then? How did you sort of um, get into those things? Was it at uni or after? Or? When I was in um, in A levels, I read a book by a guy called John Ronson. Okay. And he's great author. You wrote them, Secret Rulers of the World. And and he was having a documentary about conspiracy theories, including David Icke. And it got and I read that book and it got me really interested. And I started looking to conspiracy theories by David Icke, um, not just David Icke, but just other people as well, left wing commentators who edged that way. Uh, but as I've gone along, uh, I'd just like to say that uh, I was looking at these conspiracy theories, but I realised that a lot of people who are spouting these conspiracy theories were anti-Semitic, and then some yeah. of them some of them are fascists and we have to denounce them 110%. I don't think they've like it, a lot of people do, but we have to denounce them 110%. So uh, I was interested in stuff like 9-11. I think someone else was behind that. There were a lot of holes in the story. A lot of people may disagree, 7-7 mm. and stuff like that. And that's what really got me interested. But obviously, as I delved more into it, I had to realise there were a lot of people who were unsavoury, as I, shall I say. So uh, I make sure I don't want to mix with those guys. I think I think that is the risk with those things as well because I, I wouldn't describe myself as a conspiracy theorist, but I would I, I I'm open sort of minded enough to read into things and to uh, watch things. Right, it's funny because I used to be a member of the Green Party, a member of the Labour Party now, but I used to be a member of the Green Party, and. David, I didn't know this. David Icke used to be the leader of the Green Party like years ago. Yeah. And, and I've spoken to some older Green Party members about it, and they were like, Yeah, that was a time when we were, we were definitely on the fringe. You think we're on the fringe now? Yeah. We, were, we, were, we were way on that fringe back then because that was yeah. when they were more of an ecologist party. But it's well, funny, yeah. I, I know somebody met him. He said, Actually, back when he was a Green Party leader, he. He wasn't into all these conspiracies at all. He, he seemed quite reasonable, but part of the reason why he ended up having to step down is because he then delved into the conspiracies, yeah. and, and 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 everyone was just like, "Whoa!" It was a bit. It was a bit much even for the Green Party. The Green Party are very left wing. So if yeah. David Icke can be too left wing for the Green Party, I don't know. Like he must feel way 
off the political spectrum. Like it's it yeah, it's it's yeah. it's an interesting one. Yeah. Go it's hundred percent. I mean, I myself campaigned for the Green Party in two thousand and fifteen and uh and uh, what I brand myself, yeah, David, like, yeah, obviously he was way out there for the Green Party. But what I, I did a show called Left Wing Conspiracy Fears with Dyspraxia for the Left Wing Conspiracy Fears with Dyspraxia for my Edinburgh show. So that knows exactly where people know where I stand and that I'm a political comedian with learning difficulties. So, so I like, obviously I am left wing, but I had to add that in obviously as well, just to let people know that these are, I, I still have those left wing values. That, this is not for anyone who's a fascist or anyone, even people who are anti-disability. So, yeah. So, yeah. And, and because, uh, yeah, you, you're still talking about that. So left wing conspiracy theories so, so on stage and, and things like that. And I also noticed on uh, a lot of your social media, you do, a, well, you did anyway, a lot of uh, benefit gigs for say the Labour party, especially when uh, Corbyn, uh, well, was leader. What was that like doing like benefit gigs for the Labour Party, especially when they were in a sort of position where they really you shared their you and the Labour Party were very aligned because of your views and their and under Corbyn their views. Do you know? Do you, so what was that like doing the benefit gigs for them? It was a blessing in disguise. It was good. I think I was lucky because there's not many people doing jokes about the Labour Party, and I was. Not jokes about, but jokes within the Labour Party, jokes about the Tories and stuff like that. And there's not many, uh, even though it is a comedy circuit 2020, there weren't many left-wing comedians out there. And I did short, snappy gags and I fitted right in there. So, and also I did, yeah, I did, yeah, I did short, snappy gags about austerity, uh, pro-immigration and stuff like that you know, and stuff like Israel, but about, you know, that we should, about Israel and Palestine and stuff like that, and how we should be, be careful not to criticise the other and so forth. So, yeah, I hit, I ticked a lot of boxes then, and also with the added teacher of being Indian and coming from, talking about learning difficulties. Yeah, you, you basically ticked everything they wanted in their manifesto. There you go, Lee. Dom, yeah. <laughs> walking manifesto. But you see, you, you mentioned sort of Israel there. Obviously, we won't delve into yeah. Labour Party anti Semitism because, again, yeah. that, no. that, 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 that could get very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'd, I'd, I'd happily talk about that with you another time. But, sure. like, like uh, I, when you were not... when you do, do those jokes on stage, and Labour Party, and there was all the problems that was going on. Were you a bit worried, like about the reaction, or were no, you no. Just like... I wasn't worried because although some people worried about, I got a couple of complaints about my Israeli jokes. But what I say is, uh, I am not a Zionist, hundred percent, but I am not an anti-Zionist either. Zionism is the determination for the Jewish people to have their own land, and I agree with that. We should have Israel 100%. What I just don't agree with is that we shouldn't expel the Palestinians. We should come on board. Uh, most popular answer is probably to have a two-state solution. So, And I ended it with a stupid uh, stupid uh, pun at the end of it, saying I don't believe in a religious nationalism like my parents' homeland of India, where they had to flee their village because of religious reasons, because everyone in that village was Sikh, and they were hairdressers. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah. So in short, I believe in the two-state solution, ideally. So, but we all should see what yeah. happens. Yeah, okay. I know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just very sort of curious as to, 
because uh, it's it's very risky even mentioning Israel and the Labour Party. <laughs> you use the word Israel and the Labour Party, and uh, regardless of your views on it, it always sparks up a, a, a reaction. But and you said you had a couple of complaints. Yeah, I've had a couple of complaints uh, at the. I was at the dancers at the King's Head. I had a couple of complaints that we didn't like your joke about Israel. But then there was this uh, Philip Simon, who's a Jewish comedian, who backed me up. And but the the, the problem with freedom of speech. And uh, this is uh, when you're talking about these issues, you have to be 110 percent on it, or you could go apt. People could take you things the wrong way. So you, I, you can say what you want, but you have to be clever about it, and you have to be 110 percent accurate. So you know, you just can't go on a rant, in my opinion. So you have to make your. You have to know what you're talking about, basically. hundred percent. And that's just about every issue, whether it's about immigration and stuff like that. Obviously, some people be anti-immigration. That's cool. Let's agree to disagree. But you have to know what you're talking about, I think, to a certain extent. Uh, I mean, when I'm on Facebook, I rant and rave about a lot of stuff maybe I don't know about. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of your rants and raves on Facebook. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but when I'm on stage, I make sure I'm a professional, make sure yeah. what I know what I'm talking about. And I don't try and offend people. If sometimes if I do, that's just a byproduct. When I first started comedy, I did a I did a rape joke and I don't do that anymore because it's not me and it's not my persona. People can do that. I'll only defend if the joke if I can't do the joke any other way and if it and if it will offend someone because I do a joke about the Westminster pedophile scandal and that's gonna offend people. But if I can't do the joke in a less offensive way, I'll still keep it then. I think it's I think it's a hard one, and, and the freedom of speech and comedy, is, and there's been a lot of talk about that uh, over the last few years as well. Like I, th- I think my views have always been like when you talk about the Westminster paedophile scandal, is like in that you're punching up, you're you're directing yeah. at people in power, and so for me that's the difference with the what I see I deem offensive and what. Whereas if you're making jokes about, say, rape, again, I think we've yeah, all yeah. we've all we've all been yeah. there where we've made the wrong sort of joke. Yeah. Um, for uh, I see that as punching down, but you don't realise it until you say it, and then the reaction you get. Um, and I've learned a lot just by watching and seeing and saying. And uh, for me, I think the biggest thing is if if the victims are the part of the joke, then it's the maybe that's where I think uh, you need to draw the line. But if the people in power are the part yeah. of the joke, then that's for me anyway. What, what do you think about I, that? I like, reframe the issue in a certain way because we've got an issue at the moment where everyone's talking about transgender rights. We're talking about calling people snowflakes. And for me, transgender rights, I'm pro-transgender rights. It doesn't concern me at all. Why am I? Why should I be investing in an issue that concerns me? I will support it. The people who are missing in the right wing are missing it. Is that the biggest issue is that we should all come together and fight the top one percent? I am pro transgender rights, uh, pro LGBT, and so forth. Why are people concerned about these issues that don't affect them? As if if the people at the top are using these issues to divide and conquer us. What we should yeah. do, politically speaking, is just come together. It doesn't matter what colour, creed, race, ethnicity or religion or sexuality or, or what gender you are. We should all come together and fight the top 1%. That is the main issue. Fight the big businesses and the corporations. Yeah. And fight the stuff that left and right, right, so left and right wing people can have a better life. That's the most important thing. Don't be bogged down by these arguments between left and right wing people. Yeah, and, and you know what? I I, I think I, I very much agree with you on all those things because 
I, I think often what happened, they, they put these debates there to try and sort of distract us. Red Herring. Yeah, yeah, to try to misdirect us in a way like this. Uh, the debate about freedom of speech. There isn't really. It's not. It's not a. It's not as serious a debate as as people sort of make out. Especially as you said on the right, it's like they like to do it. As you said, the, the divide and conquer. Um, well, as you said, there's a lot bigger issues at hand, like austerity and uh, fight again, fight the top one percent. So I, I'm in total, so total agree agreements with you. I, th- I think where. I think what I don't like is the debate in comedy. There's no, it doesn't seem to be in any nuanced. percent. I, 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 I like, I don't know maybe what's to do with my autism, but I'm, I always critically think about things. I can, I can step back and look at things objectively and take sort of um, the emotion out of it. And, you know, it's just like, you know, free speech isn't being bad, but at the same time, um, there's not a free reign of freedom of speech. Do you know what I mean? It, it's yeah. not either or. Like, I always say the com- comedians who moan about free speech, oh, I can't say this and this, that. Because my night has a no punching down ethos, and there are nights like that. I've had, I've had people message me, question that. I'm like, well, if you don't like it, that's absolutely fine. There's plenty of other nights you can do. Like, I, and I'm not saying that to uh, be rude. I'm saying that to say, well, I, I, it's not a problem. Like there are so many other nights you can do this idea that uh, we're too woke and PC these days. I, I, I think it's wrong because the evidence suggests otherwise. But I, like, I, I've got views on the woke and PC culture. Like saying, uh, someone said to you that if you you can't talk about black and Asian people, you autom- punching down, you automatic below them. Uh, forget why I said that. What I'm basically saying is, I could argue about this. I have my certain views about this as well. But the thing is, we'll be around the house and we'll be talking for ages when there's more important issues to talk about, such as global poverty, you know, illegal wars in the Middle East and stuff like that is way more important. And obviously we have to talk about free speech and stuff like that. But sometimes these people who are talking about transgender rights and are working for mm. magazines such as Spike magazines who are funded by the Koch brothers. And equally on the left-hand side, there's probably stuff funded by people uh, who are... I don't know, more liberal billionaires. So, you know, mm. just, you know, it's a red herring sometimes. Uh, I, I, my, my, when I do comedy and political comedy and don't hijack it, I'll always say that we should come together and fight the top 1%. End of. Most important yeah. thing. I, I, I do you think, as you talked about uh, the way we're fighting those things, and, and do you think um, that comedy has a big role in doing that? Because obviously you're one, you said you're one liner merchant, and but you have your views on Facebook where you have you ever sort of like got on a rant on stage just because it's important or no. or are you focus on one liners? No, I always go I do longer rants, so I do a joke about how these people went to the same schools like Eton and the Bullingdon Club and stuff like that. Mm. But every rant I do, I start with the one liners to get them on my side, but every rant I do I make sure there's a punchline. With ADHD I I'm obsessed with i make sure there's got to be an ending. So, yeah, even if I do a rant, there'll always be an ending and it's always pre-written. I don't improvise that much. So there's always an ending to every joke I do, rant or no rant. Okay, that's interesting. I, I, um, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But, like, so, like, in terms of, say, audience interaction, like, do, is that something maybe you struggle with? Because you said it's all scripted, like... Have you, for instance, have you had any hecklers and have you had a back and forth with them? Like, what's been your experience with that? I mean, uh, 
I'm I'm 37 now and I can still grow out my hair really long. So one of the heckles I got before I got on stage is saying, mate, are you wearing a wig? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I don't genuinely deal with heckles. But it's easier now because the longer I've gone, I've done better to deal with hecklers. Uh, So um, I did a gig once and these were girls on it and they said, is that Romesh or something? Because they thought I was another Asian comedian. Oh yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, because uh, the gig was weird anyway, I could play with a room. So, as the more experience I get, the easier it is for me to play with the room when I want to. I prefer just to do my jokes and do a few new new bits. But if if the gig is that weird, I will play the room instead, and I can get more laughs that way. Okay, so that's something as you said, yeah, uh, you've got better at. Because I know for me, that's one of the things I I do really struggle with still. But I've I, I think I've I've because I run my own night and I do the MC, and that is actually helped and i'd say for any autistic comedian who struggles with in uh, uh interacting with the audience mc because for me that actually uh really helped but yeah it's it's certainly something the whole staying to a script and staying online like i always make this gag about uh if i mess it mess up a joke i go i'm sorry autistic people are meant to be good at routines like <laughs> <laughs> do you know what i mean i always have that i always have that go to so if i fuck up it's all right i i if that's scripted i have a script for if i fuck up but that's like, good that's good you need that sometimes there's a guy called mark simmons he's a one-liner merchant and he, oh, he's brilliant he's absolutely he's, amazing it's brilliant yeah. and he and instead of, uh, which I've used myself, I've used those lazy put-downs before, you know. This is TV, I can hear you. Mark writes his own put-downs, and they're absolutely brilliant. So he's scripted, but it just seems so natural when he talks to people on stage with these put-downs. So, yeah. So it's good to have something prepared for when the, when it doesn't go 100% your way. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, I, so I think what I sort of want to, we talked about your autism and your comedy. I, I, I want to talk a, a little bit about how those two sort of link. Would you, what would you say about your autism that helps your comedy? Is there any aspect of your autism that helps your comedy? And well, if so, we, how? Yes, yeah, sorry about that. I was so excited to jump in. <laughs> yeah. ADHD. <I> think, <laughs> uh, uh, autism has made me obsessed with comedy for a while. I was talking about relationships earlier. For a while, all I was doing was focusing on standard comedy and not the rest of my life. And sometimes I regret that, but it has made me into the comedian I am. I'm not high enough in the circuit, but I reckon I've got some decent gags. So that's one thing. It makes me obsessive so I can focus on my comedy. And also I take things too literally. Maybe that makes me a bit of a better gag writer because I can see things from another perspective. Maybe you can as well, being autistic, obviously, Mm. than neurotypical people can. So they're the two main things. So yeah, it helps with joke writing. Okay, and... so it... yeah, so go ahead. So yeah, sorry, I think you cut off a little bit there. Um, uh, but so I, I guess you're, what you're saying, it sort of helps you with. Sort of, uh, for me, I know it's like attention to detail as well. It's like dissecting a joke, like and it's that focus as you said because you're obsessed with comedy. It's you go really into detail with that is that what you're sort of saying like you go detail to jokes it's not that it's just that with adhd and also having asperger's it Mm. means that i I have a hyper focus on stand-up comedy i mean people with asperger's when they're younger they have an interest in one area that is completely just one area and that's it and for me in my 20s and 30s that was stand-up comedy and that's what made me better because that's all i focused on Okay, yeah. Uh, and is there any sort of drawbacks, would you say? Like, 
Uh, anything to do with your autism or ADHD that maybe holds you back in your comedy? I think with the dyspraxia as well. I think firstly, uh, when I started, I couldn't make eye contact. So a lot mm. of a couple of promoters thought I was autistic. There's a guy called PJ who also ran a gig at the Bedford in Ballum, and he thought I was at Asperger's when I first started. And and so did Peter Graham from the King's Head. He said when I got my Asperger's diagnosis, he said it makes more sense now because I wasn't a natural performer. It took me a long time to get there. So I think that helped. So it's taken me ages to find my not only my persona but just to learn the the basic skills on stage uh, with the dyspraxia means I'm quite disorganized uh, so I can forget stuff hence why I forgot the first meeting with you <laughs> yeah apologies for that but I can be quite right. disorganized so I just need someone to help me with that sometimes but yeah so those are the two main things and uh, do you feel like on the whole promoters have um, the more you do it uh, promoters are supportive of that yeah they're, I think on the whole they've genuinely been supportive I mean we live in a world now, as you can see with the lockdown, where there's more comedians and than there are gigs. So promoters can only be supportive <laughs> to a certain extent, but they have, especially on the disability circuit. I, I do gigs for abnormally funny people. A guy called Simon Minter, who's the producer, okay. and he's been absolutely great for me. He's given me uh, there's not many gigs at the moment, but when he has, he's given me gigs in Zurich. He's given me gigs in America and stuff like that. He's given me well-paid gigs to talk at university. So I really appreciate that. That's amazing. So where, where is the furthest you've been then? Uh, we we take your comedy. I, I've been to um I've been to America to do some gigs. So yeah, it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, to talk about Asperger's. So yeah, it was, it was really fun with abnormally funny people. And where, whereabouts in America was that? I did a gig for Google, which was a couple of years ago for America. So. It was really fun. And I was uh, at the start, I was a bit conflicted being a left-wing comedian. I was, so I was about to say, you didn't mention their tax avoided, did you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a joke about my set. But then I thought to myself, I spoke to people and said that, like, as Bill Hicks says, if you're a comedian starting out and you're not making much money, yeah? I mean, if I were someone like, if I had the money of someone like Michael McIntyre or... Or even someone like Jason Manford, yeah, I probably wouldn't yeah. accept that gig. But because I'm only starting out, I only make a couple of hundred a month. I took that gig and I used it as opportunity. So, you know. But the guy, yeah. the, Simon was was okay with it. He asked me, do you want to do it? Because I know you've got this left wing side. But, but yeah. So, but I took it and I thought, you know, I used that money to invest in my Edinburgh show. So it was worth it in that respect. Yeah, and you know, and, and I and I think that's where, like, obviously, I'm I'm, I'm very sort of left. I'm, I'm actually very left with my views as you are, but like, I I, I do get that. I th- I think people sort of uh, forget about that because I, I've I've seen stuff on Twitter like you should boycott this, boycott that, boycott yeah. all these things, and it's just like, well, if I'm in a financial position to do so, and I think it comes from a very middle class place as well, like. Oh, okay. Well, we can't financially sometimes do that. The reason people yeah, exactly. shop at big corp- corporations is because they're a lot cheaper than more ethical ones, and that's not—that's not their fault that they've done that. It's, it's because they don't have much of a choice. I remember there was this whole boycott Weatherspoons because of the whole lockdown thing, and they—they yeah. they didn't um, furlough their staff, or they—they they just made them redundant. Right. And when they come back and, and it's actually all these Weatherspoons workers that came out and said, no, don't, because we'll be out of work. Exactly. Exactly. They no, were going on strike and they're like, you support us on our strike, but don't boycott the place because that cost us our jobs. It won't cost him mine. He's, he's, yeah. 
It's yeah. okay, Mark, but just to, sorry to butt in there, like That's all right, autistic, go like, like all autistic people do. You're 100% right, but also sometimes I can be a massive hypocrite and I'll hold my head up to that. I mean, I talk about conspiracy theories and a lot of the time I will be wrong. So, you know, uh, sometimes as yeah. people, we've got to hold our head up to that. Sometimes we can be hypocrites and sometimes we can make mistakes, even being a left-wing person. Oh, yeah, no, I, th- I thought left-wing people were perfect, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I mean, because, you know, we've done so well in elections recently. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but, there you go. See, that's another thing. I, I, I've actually, I found that I've become more sarcastic. It's like, for some reason, I don't know why. It's just, uh, I, actually, I have two older brothers, and we, were, we went to a, a family therapy session because of my autism or whatever. And my older brothers were deliberately sarcastic to me. And my mum hated it. She said to the yeah. psychiatrist, uh, that's bullying. Uh, they're bullying Lee and Mark. And, and, and then the psychiatrist went, no, he, they're doing everything right. They're being deliberately sarcastic to him in a safe space. It's their brothers. Exactly. Um, and actually, so when they get to school, they'll be all right. So actually, the, uh, the the psychiatrist on the side of my two older brothers. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure my mum hated that, and and they were like, yeah, that's exactly what we were going for. I'm sure that's, um, yeah, we were helping them. But yeah, like, are you sarcastic, actually, or or do you find that a bit difficult? Sarcasm. I can't understand sarcasm at all. I mean, I was doing a gig at abnormally funny people doing a writing session. Yeah. And someone made a joke about this. Yeah, you guys got to do some homework tonight. And then, and then I said, what homework? When? Where? Because and I didn't get it all. They were just joking. So I find sarcasm hard, which is weird. I, I can't tell if someone's joking, which is really stupid because I'm a standard. You're comedian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That. I can't. I, I, sometimes I can't tell where people's joking. So, it's, so I think sometimes you have to spell stuff out to me. <laughs> yeah, it's quite legit, but... And let's hope you're not uh, dyslexic as well, because then that'd be even harder. <laughs> so yeah, then I'd, uh, if I was dyslexic, then I'd have everything, wouldn't I? So I'll have the full the full yeah. shabat. So. Exactly, you will you win on top trance. Don't worry <laughs> about that. Uh, welcome to the Autism Hour Quiz. Okay, so um, what we're going to do now, we are going to come to a point where I'm going to ask you some questions. It's it's an autism hour quiz. Cool. I, uh, I I I've done it to all the acts on here. Um, and 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 what I will say is uh, that if you do, fa- I'm going to ask you five questions. Um, they're going to be sort of true or false statements. And if you don't get all five right, I'm going to have to take your Asperger's diagnosis away <laughs> from you. <laughs> so you knew I was joking there. <laughs> I need that for a moment, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe people no, no, I'm not kidding. There's a couple that uh, a couple of people I've had on there go that actually sounded nervous. I'm not, I'm joking. I don't have that power. <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm not a trained doctor, um, but I I like to um, I like to sort of uh, make them deliberately hard. Uh, so <laughs> no, no, no one's no one's got five out of five so far. I don't think, or maybe one person. Uh, Can you just has... um, give me a second while I put Google on. So <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> oh well, you know you, you gigged for them, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so right, let me get up some uh, statistics. So um, 
I mean, if you if you have listened to this podcast before, you, uh, there might be you might actually do very well because <laughs> again, being autistic, I tend to repeat myself. So, <laughs> um, love okay. your next week again, won't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so right, number one. Okay, true or false? One in seven hundred people in the UK are diagnosed with autism it's false i thought it was like one in a hundred that is spot on well done true thank you thank you one out of one i'm gonna have to find a really hard one now find another one okay right boys are three times more likely to be diagnosed with autism than girls true it is false. It's actually four times more likely. So that was that was that was a bit of a deliberate. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's not because uh, boys are more autistic than girls. It's just because the way we gender kids, yeah, uh, exactly. girl, girls are expected to be quieter, so it's harder to tell. Whereas boys 100%. are ex- boys are expected to be sort of louder, and and so the quiet ones are uh, do often yeah can get the diagnosis but yeah i I got to my dissertation on asperger's uh, and i read i was reading that and i reckon that there are there are i reckon as many girls as boys autistic but we just don't we're not very good at diagnosing it and that needs to change i think i think it's starting Uh, to change but it's very slowly Mm, yeah definitely well I, I, I had another autistic comedian on here uh hello edwards and she talked about how hard it was for her She's 40 years old and she's just got a diagnosis. But when she was younger, girls being autistic wasn't a thing. And, and, and as you said, hopefully that is uh, changing for the better. OK. Yeah, fingers crossed. OK, so, well, question three, I think. I think we are. Um, right. So, yeah, number three. Vaccines cause autism. False. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, <laughs> the only reason, yeah, because that's why I asked you. Because I've I've seen I've seen your vaccine debates on Facebook. Oh yeah, like, I know, I know. <laughs> Go on, put that in there. No, so vaccines do not cause autism. Uh, although, in, uh, although we've both been vaccinated, so you never know. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, do you know what? I mean, like. Hey, you know, when we have our COVID vaccines, let's see what happens. You know, <laughs> we'll just start being more introverted after that. <laughs> Number four. Right, let me see if I can find this. Okay. Right. Trying to find one that's. Okay. Uh. Less than 40% of autistic adults are in full-time employment. Uh, that's false. It's only uh, 15% of autistic adults are in full-time employment. Sorry, I'll, I'll repeat that. Uh, I said less So less than... But yeah, oh, you're right. I, yes. I meant less than 40%. Fewer, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, 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 less than 40 Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's about 15%. You're yeah. right. And it's really shocking. It's like, we just... That needs to change, definitely. But now with COVID-19, 
less than fewer than 15 percent fewer than 40 percent of people are in unemployment and that's just neurotypicals as well <laughs> yeah no, exactly no one's gonna have a job we're in a recession now so yeah whether you're autistic or not you're gonna be unemployed so i don't mean to be bleak there but you know <laughs> I mean, under this government, I think, yeah. Anyway, we can we can talk about that another time. Well, that, that's, a, that's another podcast, I think. Um, okay, I'm just trying to find. Uh, so so far, you're doing really well. You've got three out of four. Um, so see if we can get four out of five, which would be one of the highest scores I've had on here. So I am just going to see if I can find a very difficult one. Okay. Sorry about this. Uh, no, no, that's fine. Um, Let's see if I can answer this. Ah, here's one. Um, parents of autistic children are twice as more likely to suffer from depression than parents of neurotypical kids um i'd say that's true that is true although what's quite well i mean it's it's about asperger's but that yeah that is true but what they did point out was we're not saying there's a direct link between their kids autism and their <laughs> depression <Yeah. laughs> you said that in the book Carl, yeah. uh, the, this, uh, the it could research. be for different reasons yeah sure but 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 it is, and also parents. As you, I think you alluded to to, to it earlier that they have autistic traits. Um, and parents do, and and yeah, there is there is a link between mental health and autism as well. Um, but yeah, okay, so four out of five, well done, Don. That was thank the, you very much. That was the highest we've had. Well, one of the highest we've had on there. Oh, um, well, thanks for that. I, I didn't think I would get that high, but. You beat Luke Poulton, so you can, next time we see him, you can tell him that. Uh, Luke uh, Poulton is only going to be listening to this. He's going to be effing and blinding. Yeah, exactly. And he doesn't swear that often. No, no. <laughs> um, okay, so what I'll do, uh, what I like to finish with is a bit of a light-hearted segment. So is there like a funny story you have about your autism or comedy or both? Like a funny experience that's happened to you. Uh, I think the I think the weirdest thing is uh, this is more with dyspraxia related. I'm just so disorganised. I went to a gig once in Cardiff. It was at the Glee Club, an Asian gig, yeah. And because I just did my set, I did quite well. But I was a bit all over the place afterwards, so I just took my coat and left, yeah. And after I left with uh, Sunil Patel, who was uh, the driver, who was the other gig, who was the other comedian with me. I realised I took the wrong coat and I actually took the bouncer's coat. No. So oh, what it's happened? Not funny. And it was just weird. So what happened was that I took the coat back, yeah, and the bouncer was okay with it, but I had low on battery. And because I'm so disorganised and I, and I was all over the place, I couldn't find the car park. So it took me an hour to find the car park. Oh, and my God. So, so I had a little bit of battery left, a little bit, and so they said, "Are oh, you lost, on?" And then they just ran out, and I, and I, 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 was in this, I was in the car park, and it felt like I was somewhere near the motorway. I went that far out, so, but eventually I got there. But it, it wasn't funny; it was more tragic, if anything. But looking back, I could laugh, <laughs> I could laugh at it. But yeah, so I was a bit right. of a donut that day. So, 
Yeah, no, you do. Like sometimes the worst things are like you, you can look back and laugh. Um, well, uh, thank you very much uh, for coming on. Is there anything you'd like to say? Plug any future gigs or anything that you'd like to tell people about before we yes, finish? Yes, uh, uh, you can follow me at Don Business Comedy. Uh, look at my Facebook page and Twitter for what gigs I'm doing. I'd like to say thanks very much, Mark, for having this. It's a, probably one of the best podcasts I've done. It was uh, it's interesting to talk about various things as well uh also uh if you're autistic comedian getting out try if, if you can't get on the podcast please listen to this podcast or even people who don't understand the issue have a listen it's really good and it's a bit more personal than when people are usually talking about autism so yeah thanks very much for having us uh thank you very much don uh, and if you'd like to um, follow this podcast to search Autism Hour podcast. We're on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, so we're on all the uh, all the streams. And uh, yeah, we have a Facebook page, Autism Hour podcast, t- Twitter at Autism Hour Pod C One, uh, and also and actually let you know I run a night called Laugh Able for acts with disabilities and mental health conditions and our next one is on the 11th of September and I'm delighted to say Don will be headlining there I'm very excited about that um, so if you'd like yeah if you'd like to catch me and Don um, yeah could definitely come to that gig so you can follow my personal uh, account is where I put the latest gigs up there at Mark on Insta uh, at Mark Burkwood, all lowercase, and you can follow the Laugh Able Insta account at Laugh Able 1990. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at MB Comedian One um, and the Laugh Able Twitter account, which I'd say is probably the most autistic Twitter account out there. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's at Laugh Abe 802 Two. The only way it could be more autistic if it had the digits of pi at the end. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that that is that's where you could uh, find all details about the the Laugh Able Night and uh, my night. Um, and yeah, that's it. So thank you very much, Don. And thank you, thank you. Cheers for that. Uh, I really appreciate it. No, and it's 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 been really great. Uh, and uh, goodbye, everyone. Uh, tune in next time. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks. Thomas, there we go.